today's scripture comes from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 to 16. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed. Pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God for they are fully to him, and he is not able to understand them because he, they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. All right, good morning, everybody. Um, I just wanna thank Pastor Paul for preaching last week. We were very blessed. I was very blessed by his message. And I was also very blessed by this past Wednesday. Was it this past Wednesday? It feels like weeks ago. It was this past Wednesday. Pastor Paul took uh, the staff and I on a scramble. And so there's four of us. There's Sam, Chunzuk, Pastor Paul, and myself. And then we went to this place in, in between exit two and three of the Palisades Parkway. And then I don't know if you're familiar with that hike. You go down for about 40 minute, 45 minutes or you descend. And then you scramble, meaning you climb rocks with your hands and feet for about two hours. And then you have to climb back up. And so I almost died. Uh, so I almost didn't make it here today. I looked at, I have a heart monitor. So in my heart monitor, uh, for about two and a half hours, it was just steadily at 180. So I think my heart might have given up. The only, I think the only reason why I did make it was um, there's nowhere to stop. It's not like in the middle of the rocks, you're like, you know what, let's go home. It, you just stay there and die, or you just make it to the end. And so, uh, you know, praise God, I'm here. Um, the other, there was another staffer who had to ice his knee for the next two days, another staffer who hit his head on a branch and had scabs because he was bleeding from his head. And it was, there was one, only one staffer who made it through. He was just hop, skipping, and jumping over the rocks like a leprechaun. It was like, boop, 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 and he was going. <laughs> Not only that, he had a first aid kit in his backpack and brought about two gallons of water, and he did it like nothing. So if you want to go scramble or hiking, and want to have a fantastic experience, uh, go ask Pastor Paul. His email is pauljang at cgsnj.org. Well, I was so thoroughly impressed before I started today. I thought, 
I might share that tidbit with you. Uh, but yeah, we had a lot of fun on Wednesday. Um, but today, it is my privilege and honor to share the Word of God with you here in this place. And let's start with a prayer. Almighty God, in you are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Open our eyes that we may see the wonders of your word and give us grace that we may clearly understand and follow the way of your wisdom. We do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. Make us hunger for this heavenly food that it may nourish us today in the ways of eternal life, that we may feast on Jesus Christ, the bread of heaven. And aid your servant now in bringing forth the word of God, that he may glorify you and aid your people to hear these words of life as they are the words of God. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Um, my mother-in-law makes this little concoction, and I love it. I call it liquid gold. It only has two ingredients, and if you look up the health properties of it, um, it has all these vitamins and nutrients. It lowers blood sugar. Uh, it's good for your digestion. It's a root and a bark, and you just boil it for a few hours, and then you drink it. It's so simple, except no one else knows how to make it except my mother-in-law, apparently. Uh, my wife tried, and uh, it's, it's almost as good. But my mother-in-law, uh, it's just so amazing. So I call it liquid gold. Whenever I go over, my brother-in-law is also a little bit of a, a health enthusiast. And so he and I really enjoy this drink together. There's no added sugar. There's nothing. Uh, I guess because it, the root, if you boil it, there's a little bit of sugar. So there's about 0.1 grams of sugar, but it tastes about 100 times more sugary than 0.1 grams. It tastes like it has at least 10 grams of sugar. And I have it here. And I just wanted to bring it to share with you because, you know, last week, Pastor Paul did talk about how Paul came not with eloquence, not with words of wisdom, but he came humbly. And so it wasn't about the covering, but what he did get to express was that the power and the wisdom of God just in itself. You know, just because this thing is in here, people could be oohed and odd, like, wow, look at this, this is such a great cup. But that wasn't the point. You could put it in a cup is my point. You could put something as precious as liquid gold in this cup. By the way, it's just cinnamon and ginger. That's all it is, but it's about the ratio, okay? Anyway, but it's just cinnamon and ginger, it's amazing. But, you know, if you put too much cinnamon, then it's too spicy. If you're too much, okay, but if you put it in this thing, you could be like, wow, look at this Yeti cup. It's cool. It has a, like a magnetic open and close. That's not the point. The point is what was in it. So he didn't choose to come in a fancy cup or outside. What he did choose to come was to show simply in this little cup, but to show you the amazing gospel truth. This is the point. The point was what's in the cup. And what we do is we want to just say, wow, and be oohed and odd by the outside, which is what the Greeks did. But he was saying, that's not the point. And so the gospel that the Corinthians had been given through Paul was the power and the wisdom of God. I'm going to take a sip of this. Huh? Yeah, man, that's crazy. Okay. 
And the point is, the gospel owes nothing then to human wisdom. It owes nothing to this casing at all. The gospel owes nothing to human wisdom. It is not the next elusive step that many were looking for. You know, oh, we've known this much. What's the next one so that we could get to that divine level? It's not the elusive next step that many were looking for. In fact, both the message and its messengers were despised by the great and wise people of the ages. The message and its messengers were despised by the great and wise ones. The divine wisdom that is given is in total opposition to the worldly wisdom that the Corinthian church so loved. And Paul has shown them in this time that it was Christ's saving act on the cross that is true wisdom. And so we go to verse 6. And verse 6 starts with yet. Yet, however, yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, yet provides a contrast. The rejection is with worldly wisdom, but it's not with all wisdom. That's not what is being rejected. There is a wisdom that Paul is imparting, and it is to the mature. The word mature is teleoi, which is from the word telos. And if you've been paying attention, telos means the end, the end, right? That's what's used to translate into mature. There is a completeness to the understanding of the word mature. The mature are the telos, those that have reached the end. That's what it means to be mature. You have reached the end. And how is that possible? You know, in the latter part of the verse, we see where the contrast lies. It is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age that are doomed to pass away. The difference is in this. There are those who have welcomed the message of the cross, that is the mature, with those that have rejected the message of the cross, doomed to pass away. This is where the contrast lies. Those that have welcomed the message of the cross, the mature, with those that have rejected it, doomed to pass away. Again, who are those that can receive the wisdom of God? Those that receive the message of the cross. This is pointing to a continuing state, looking at the final state through the impartation God gives his children. It doesn't mean that, however, they can't be immature. In the very next verses in chapter 3, verse 1, we'll see that Paul treats them like infants. But this is on the basis of their deficiency in love, which we'll get into next week. If this isn't totally clear to you right now because all this immature, mature is going on, that's okay because we have 10 more verses to go to explain this. But the main contrast here in verse 6 is that it's being put out here with Christians. That's the contrast. With Christians who have accepted the wisdom of the cross with worldly people, people who have not. To receive God's wise provision is in a very real sense to be mature. 
even though the world would see it as folly. And the rulers of the world and the wisdom of the world are really doomed to pass away. You know, uh, these days, the idea of reparations have come up in recent days. Unfortunately, even by young Christian leaders. Um, And I want to tell you something a little bit about history. The Greeks before Christ knew of this idea of reparations, and they tried this only to find that it is impossible, not only to calculate what those reparations should be, but to receive amount that would satisfy. They understood that justice cannot be done in the past. What the past is the past. And these are the Greeks before Jesus, okay? These are the same Greek philosophers that would eventually come to realize that if they kept on looking to the past for justice, there actually would be no peace. It was only when they would see that if there are any present injustices to fix that and look to a future if you were to survive at all. And this incredible wisdom has affected even our nation's founding fathers' writings, such as the Declaration of Independence. If you read it, you'll see this theme carry through the Declaration of Independence. I'm not going to read it for you now, but right before he gets into the nitty-gritty of what the you know, what the monarch has done in England and those things that were bad before he explained this philosophy. However, as great as that is, as great as understanding that reparations will solve nothing, right? Going back to the past to do, uh, to right a wrong will actually harm you and will bring you into a state of war and strife, which we are literally seeing play out here. This is 2,500 years ago, people were already talking about this and saying, this doesn't make sense. This can't happen. It's not working. Our kingdoms are breaking apart. However, as smart as you think that might have been, however, it is Jesus Christ who came to the earth and taught and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. This is from Luke chapter 11, verse 4, when he's teaching the Lord's Prayer. Jesus also gives the parable of the wicked servant who was forgiven effectively $10 million, but afterwards goes and chokes someone and jails someone after that who owed him $200. So my point is, it's not that the wisdom of the world doesn't have any value at all, but the wisdom of God so far exceeds that of the world's that it would make it seem like nothing. And this is something that we have been talking about in our book study for racial equality, biblical racial equality. But what we are to understand is that the wisdom of God so far exceeds the wisdom of the world that it would seem like nothing. And ironically, ironically here we are in 2020 bickering over who owes what to whom. In verse 7 we see, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory, the secret, apocrypto, hidden, 
mysterion, which we get the word mystery. This is a wisdom that God had decreed before time began and he had hid. Secret and hidden means that the wisdom of God is not a puzzle to be solved. A lot of people will take things like, oh, I just need to figure it out. I need to figure out the wisdom of God. I need to figure out the next step to the divine. And we see all the world religions play out in this similar fashion. If you meditate enough, if you hike enough, if you scramble enough, whatever it is, oh, then you will get a more rather divine or complete wisdom. That is not what the Bible is saying. Secret and hidden means that God's wisdom has to be revealed. It has to be revealed. And this is exactly what Paul and the others are doing. And in the succession of teachers, this is the job of the elders and pastors in the church. My job is not to entertain. My job is not to entertain, although I would think that some parts of my message are entertaining. My job is not to motivate Although at some times certain portions of the teachings can be motivating, my job is to teach. This is why our primary method of preaching is verse-by-verse -verse exposition. It is to reveal what the Bible is saying. My main job is to stand up here and say, this is what the Bible is saying. This was the plan of God even before the beginning and this is why when the word is rightly preached, the saints rejoice. This is talking about our glory. In verse 8, none of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. None of the rulers of that age understood this. Otherwise, why would they have crucified Jesus Christ? Isn't it precisely because they did not and could not understand it? That's why they crucified him. And we went over this, but no matter how smart, no matter how noble or gifted you are, God's secret, God's mystery would not be known to you other than through revelation. For if they knew it, as smart and gifted and noble as they were, if they knew it, they would not have killed God's son. And here he calls God's son the Lord of glory. Kyrios doxa. The Lord of the highest honor. He's giving the highest name that he could think of. Why would you give crucifixion, which was the lowest, the most base and horrific form of torture and death, to the highest Lord of all? Unless you did not know who you were crucifying. If they had known this, how could they have done what they did? Isn't it because they did not know it? In verse 9, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. It's cited from Isaiah 64, 4. There is something that no one ever saw before, heard of before, could have ever even imagined. Before Jesus, no one could have even imagined what Jesus would do. But it's something that God had prepared for those that love him. It's connected to those whom God has chosen 
in chapter 1 that we talked about. In verse 10, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. We cannot know God. When people speculate and pontificate on who God is, think about it. Isn't that the craziest thing? Isn't that the most futile undertaking? Think about this. Two ants, my wife hates ants, but there are this ant season now uh, around Ridgefield where I live. There's ants everywhere. But imagine two ants having a conversation or a discussion on the human anatomy. That's ridiculous. <laughs> it's stupid. They're not going to have a good conversation on what the human anatomy is like. But even that separation is from the finite to the finite. People thinking that they can figure out who God is is trying to say that the finite can address the infinite. It is impossible to know God. The mysterion means that God has hidden it. But here is the word reveal. Apocalypto, where we get the word apocalypse, where we get the word revelation. The last book of the New Testament is apocalypto, revelation. And the wisdom of God is revealed by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit knows the deep things of God. And you think about it. Who better to give that knowledge than the Holy Spirit then? Who better to give the knowledge of who God is than the one who knows the deep things of God? And we praise God that the Bible wasn't written by angels as powerful and as majestic as these beings are. The Bible was not written by angels. It was written through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Verse 11, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. My friends know me. They know me well. They know what name I like to be called. They know how to pronounce my name, where to put, you know, the emphasis. You know, as a kid, I would say, this is my name. And some, some people would say, oh, hello, Eugene. Hello, Eugene, or Eugene. I don't know. I, like People would say it differently. And my favorite part was when I went to Panera, and then someone said, Eugenio, and that was the best way to pronounce my name. But my friends know me. I want to tell you that my wife knows me better. My wife knows me better. And the longer we live together and spend time together, the more we will know about one another, the more she knows about me. She knows immediately if I'm not feeling well or if I'm hiding something. But we still won't know everything. Everything I know about myself, she will not know. You know why? As much and as long as you live together and are married, as close as we are, because I know me best. I know myself best. And it's because no matter how close you are to me, no matter how close you are to me, you are still on the outside. 
in the same way, there's no way anybody could know God except what we are to understand. What is Paul teaching us here? God knows himself. God knows himself. And the way we know God isn't through some intermediary. It's through God himself. Who better to reveal who God is than the Holy Spirit, who is God himself? In verse 12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Every word that has come forth from the mouth of God, we have been given. When Jesus was tempted at the desert, how did he answer when Satan said, you can turn these stones into bread and eat it if you're hungry. You can do what you want. You're God. And this is how Jesus answered Satan. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And this is why we say that all scripture, we're not saying all apostles. We're not saying all pastors, not all prophets, all scripture, the written word that we have received by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, all scripture is inspired. In 2 Timothy 3, 16, verse 17, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 16 to 17, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So the disciple can have confidence that the knowledge that we have been given, this knowledge that we have through the word of God is real knowledge. It's not something that will fade like the Greek knowledge or that will go out of style like all these other um, like ideas and ideals and political fashions that are in right now. The knowledge of God will not fade or go out of style. It is something that will never, ever will need to be improved upon. In fact, every time people think we need to update the gospel or improve upon the gospel, have we not seen how it rather detracts from the truth and God's word? And this is a wisdom God has freely given to his children. He has freely given this incredible knowledge to his children. Verse 13, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. These spiritual truths have been imparted, la lumen, it is to illuminate us, and it has been illuminated to us and this is what we are to teach others it this is what it means when we are commanded in ephesians 5 do not get drunk on wine for that is debauchery but be filled with the spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody to the lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to god the father in the name of our lord jesus christ submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. In verse 14, it reads like this, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, 
but is himself to be judged by no one. Psychikos is the word for natural. It means finite. The natural or finite person cannot accept the spiritual things of God. Do you know why? Because he is finite. He is not spiritual. Rather, the spiritual person, which is pneumatikos, judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. What does that mean? To judge is the ability to make a judgment. And not on just some things. What are we able to make a judgment on? All things. There is a force used here in this statement. While the natural person cannot understand anything about God, the spiritual person can make judgments on all matters. And because the natural person does not and cannot know anything about the spiritual, he cannot judge the spiritual man either. What the Bible is teaching us is that wisdom of God, that the wisdom of God is all-encompassing. You know, recently the Supreme Court ruled in Nevada to uphold the governor's mandate to limit church gatherings to a maximum of 50 people. I'm not sure if you've read this, but while limiting the churches to a maximum of 50 people, uh, they allowed other places like casinos to operate at about 50% capacity. Maybe around 500 people could be in there. So churches can't gather if they gather only 50 people, but all other places like casinos and such, you could have 50%, which could, have, which could literally mean 500, 10 times more, maybe even more than that. What's ironic about this is that the most physically darkest place in the United States and uh, one of the darkest places in the world is in Nevada. It's, it's called the Massacre Rim. It's in northwest Nevada, and um, it is one of the f most physically darkest places. So when it's night, it's like night. It's dark, and it's called the Massacre Rim. But what's ironic also is that it's also the one of the most spiritually darkest places in the world, where we know there's a place called Las Vegas, where all sorts of things happen, and all sorts of things are turned to with a blind eye. And there's one place in that place that can shine a light, a place called by God to be a light, and that place is being stifled in their gatherings. The, the Wall Street Journal had uh, an opinion piece by the editorial board which they very aptly titled, Render Unto, Render Unto, Unto Caesar's Palace. And this is the kind of world that we live in. It doesn't matter who our statesmen are, even our judges, and the people who have not the spiritual mind can never understand the spiritual things. They don't know why church is important. They don't know that this is the one place in the world that God has called to be a light. But if I bring some casino tables, hey, you guys can open. 4 and 16, for who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. When someone comes up to you and says, I think this and this about God, that, that's kind of foolish. Like, how do you know that this, this is true about God? Well, I just feel it. 
you know, God would never send people to hell because that's not a God I would like. It's like, okay, because that makes sense. Just because something you don't like, that means definitely God is not that. Because in the end, I guess you're God. There's another aspect. God, I'm looking at this world, and let me tell you some things that you need to fix because this is what I think about the world. And this is also funny. But we see that the more powerful people are, this also, this idea still keeps up. And if you are here this past Saturday or you listened in on Zoom, Pastor Paul talked about Daniel 4, about Nebuchadnezzar. It's when he stood up and it said, in his mouth, this is while this was still in his mouth, and this is what was in his mouth, is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty, as these words are in his mouth, boom, he was hit and he was like an animal and he was eating grass in the field. And God humbles him because who makes anyone great? Who gives anyone power? You know, when we talk about authority, we're saying, oh, I don't want to respect that authority. I don't want that. I want this kind of authority. We, we talk about authority as if it's something that we could barter or give or take, but authority is given by God. That's what we are taught in Daniel 4. But not just in Daniel 4. Here's what I want to point to. It goes to the New Testament in Acts chapter 12. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. There was a problem, and he was able to fix it. He was able to talk so well, so charismatically. It riled the people up. The people were united. And the people were shouting in verse 22 of Acts chapter 12. And the people were shouting, This voice, the voice of a god, not a man. Verse 23 of Acts chapter 12, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. There's a little, little section. There's a space there if you have a physical Bible. And in verse 24 it says, but the word of God increased and multiplied. But the word of God increased and multiply. The wisdom of the age, the wisdom of the rulers are doomed to pass away. These are things that perhaps God had given so to sustain the world, but ultimately to show that this wisdom will not save, cannot save, will pass away, but there is a wisdom that we have been given. It has been revealed to us and it will last forever. But the word of God increased and multiplied is from Isaiah chapter 40 verse 13 where Paul quotes for who has understood the mind of the Lord as so so as to instruct him Paul associates here the mind of the Lord with the mind of Christ we meaning the disciples of Christ can see things now from the viewpoint of Christ that's crazy isn't it that's insane but this is what we have been given by the Spirit of God. And this is what we are to do. What are we to do as Christians, as the church? We are to spiritually discern. We're to investigate. We're to examine. We're to scrutinize. But not in the world, worldly way. Christians recognize that it is God who gives the final verdict. 
and he has given to us his Holy Spirit, and by it he has done three things. He has given to us his Holy Spirit, and by it he has done three things. And if you've been listening, I said these three things, but I'm going to summarize it now. He has given to us his Holy Spirit, and by it he has done three things. Revealed it, inspired it, illuminated it. Revealed it, inspired it, illuminated it. What is that that he revealed? What is that that he inspired? What is it that? What is that that he illuminated? It is his holy word. It is by his holy word we can now judge or slash know all things. It is by his holy word with by we can judge or know all things. This is why we hold the scriptures so dear. When we gather, do you know why we gather? It's because the word teaches us to gather in Hebrews chapter 10, 35. Do not give up meeting together, which some are inclined to do. That is why we gather. This is a mandate given to us. That's why we gather. We gather because the word of God instructs us to. And when we pray, when we sing, when we give service, we do it according to the instruction of God's word. And this is only possible if you know God. And you know that you know God if you love God. And you know that you love God if you love his word. Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 31 to 32, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you you free. Free from what? Free from sin and free from the quest to find an answer to sin. If you really think about it, why are we raging today? Isn't it because we want another answer to sin other than what has been revealed to us in Jesus Christ? There's got to be another way. It can't be just Jesus. It can't be the Bible. It can't be the gospel. There's another way. Let's find another way, guys. We could do it without God. Isn't that why the nations rage? But the truth will set you free. is freedom from sin and the quest for an answer to sin. We are now free to know Christ, for he is the truth. Free to follow him and free to receive the calling he has given to us. We have been called to be people of the word empowered by his spirit. CGS, we are now free to be people of the word. And so let us live accordingly. Let us live according to the words that come out from the mouth of God. And let's pray.